Welcome to Ukulele is the New Black. I'm Meredith Harper and I love to play the ukulele. In this podcast, I talk to ukulele players to find out why they play ukulele, what they love about it and how it's changed their lives. I wanted to play an instrument Cause musicians are so cool And I wanted to be cool But I found playing an instrument Was kind of hard Stu Fuchs is an award-winning multi-instrumentalist who can do amazing things with a ukulele, but he's also passionate about helping people to use music for healing and happiness. He loves to teach and has a heap of resources on his YouTube channel, Ukulele Zen. In today's episode, we talk about his early days learning guitar with his father, his discovery of the ukulele, and how much he loves living in Buffalo, New York. He also plays a bit of didgeridoo and shows me some unconventional ways to play the ukulele. Ukulele player, introduce yourself. My name is Stu Fuchs. I am a lover of the ukulele, and I also am a lifelong guitarist and multi-instrumentalist. Well, it's lovely to meet you. Um, I first heard of you from Stuart Eady, who I spoke to a few months ago, who is Stu Kalele. And he said originally he came across you because you were also Stu Kalele at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I was supposed to have, uh, if not for COVID, I would have been touring a good chunk of the Sunshine Coast and also playing at the Sunshine Coast Ukulele Festival. I was going to stop in to see Stu, Stu Ukulele. And I first uh, met Stu because years ago, um, well, I haven't met him in person, but we've video chatted. I released my first solo CD named Stu Ukulele in 2003. And, uh, you know, some Brazilian music on it and some George Formby and Bach. And it's like, it's kind of eclectic looking back on it. It's kind of a wild. (laughs) That is an interesting mix. (laughs) It is. And I'll send you a copy. It's, I I dig it. I'm happy with how it came out. But Stu contacted me and he said, hey, this is, hey, Stu, this is Stu, which I don't (laughs) get, I don't get a lot of emails like that. And this is, this is the Stu Kuleli from Down Under. Is it all right by you if I go forward with this name or something to that effect. And I said, oh, by all means, man, you know, it's just, you know, I'm probably one of 10 other Stukuleles in the world. Um, so we kept in touch and yeah, he's a really sweet guy. Um, we, uh, I'd hoped to visit, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Mullumbimbi. Correct, yes. Mullumbimbi, I was supposed to be there in uh, May of this year, 2020, but hopefully I can come back another time. I hope so. I hope we can all start traveling around with our ukuleles. <laughs> oh, it's an interesting contrast. You know, the year 2019, I did 35 events, mixture of festivals, my own events. I hold, I hold a ukulele retreat, a yoga, meditation, and music retreat called Ukulele Zen. And uh, so to contrast that, 35 events, zigzagging all this travel to, to, to this year where I'm just at home, is a, is a contrast. But the upside is that I get to stay home with my eight-month-old baby boy, Rowan, and that is precious. And so I'm really, really, really grateful. It's really the sunshine in this whole COVID-19 lockdown is all the sweet time spent bonding mother, son, and father. Absolutely. Yeah. So in some ways, it's good timing for you. <laughs> well, it wasn't good timing for anyone, but you know what I mean. That and a lot of practice time, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A lot of that. So um, your first instrument, I believe, was guitar. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about that. 
My, well, you know, my father uh, was a deep lover of music and he was a classical guitarist, although I would call him an amateur, not an amateur, mind you. And that's not, not semantics. There's a different meaning for me between an amateur and an amateur. An amateur, similar to the Italian word amore, it, it really literally means one who loves. And that's mm. what the word amateur comes from. Instead right. Of professional, you're one who does it for love. I consider myself a professional amateur and uh, a professional amateur. And you can see on my strap, I have a button that even. Oh, wow. It must be true. <laughs> it's true. I have a button. I have a button. <laughs> Playing the ukulele. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm very proud of that button I made. Yeah. Anyway, um, my father, life, his whole life loved classical guitar, but it was a very private thing for him. You know, he never played publicly. In fact, there isn't even a picture of him holding the guitar, which is too bad, because he would play it almost every night. I grew up near New York City, and he would come home from a stressful day of work. And I'll just to tell the story briefly, um, he would come home after a long commute, stressful day in the film industry, uh, and you know he, he just looked deflated. And one of my earliest memories, I might have been five or six years old, and he just slumped down eating his dinner, and then he finished his dinner and started to play, and he played one chord. And suddenly he was back. I mean, I watched his back straighten up. He took a deep breath. He looked at me, smiled. And he started to, you know, play one of his favorite pieces, which I'm playing on ukulele right now. But this was one of the first things I learned to play. Yeah. Uh, also at a very young age, one of my earliest memories is uh, sitting with him and that guitar, which I still have. I still have that same guitar. Wow. That's so cool. And um, he would just, he, he taught me the melody for this famous Spanish ballad. I have a video tutorial on this if anybody wants to learn it i'm YouTube sure they will i'll link that in the show notes so i would play because it's a single note single string melody i just play it with one finger as a little kid and he would pick he would pick the the notes oh right? yeah yeah so we would play music together and um and then i uh apart from that really i used the guitar as a without really being so conscious of it, as a, as a tool of healing. You know, I watched that powerful moments of watching my father kind of come back to life, listening to music, and, you know, and I would take that guitar and sneak it into the woods when I would come home from school, and um, he was still at work, I'd take it into the woods, and I would just play one note. And I just loved how that felt. I loved mm. holding it against my body, feeling the vibration. And listening to it, and I didn't realize that at the time, but I was—I guess I was doing a form of deep listening meditation. Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah, a big part of my life. So I would listen to the birds go by, try to mimic them, the rustling of trees. And this is what I did for many years. I didn't even realize that it was something that, you know. You studied. For me, the, this hunk of wood with strings on it, this tree with strings on it, was uh, something that was a he instrument of healing and um, a uh, you know just a tool for making myself feel happy. And so I did that for many years, and and I still bring to this day, even though I've been trained and I've studied and I've played lots of more traditional venues, in my heart there still is that little kid who's just 
making free sounds. And I love to invite people through my workshops into that space of just childlike wonder. And yeah. wow, how cool is this thing? I touch this piece of wood and listen to what it can do. You know, so it never, <laughs> never stops to blow my mind. Just that, wow, you tap this thing and that's what it does. But, yeah. So you obviously self-taught at that age, but you said you were classically trained later on. I was. Um, I came to it later in life. You know, um, sometime in my preteen years, I started to listen to the music of the Beatles, David Bowie, my sister's LPs of U2 and Bowie, um, Jimi Hendrix, Van Halen. And I just, you know, like a lot of teenage boys in the 1980s, I'm dating myself here, but, you know, that's kind of what I came up on, that classic rock I think we're about the same era, so so we're good. Yeah. And, and you know, so I was self-taught. I was like, you know. And all that stuff. And I learned eruption. And I just kind of learned by ear. I took a couple of lessons from a great jazz guitarist. And at the time, I didn't realize what a brilliant guitarist I was studying with. And in my cocky youth, I stopped taking lessons with him because, you know, (laughs) I thought I knew better. Um, But he quickly, in about seven months, taught me all my modes and scales, and he was actually encouraging me to listen to more advanced music like Mahavishnu Orchestra and Miles Davis and John Coltrane, and I checked it out, but it wasn't until I was in college that I really got turned on to world music and jazz. So blah, blah, blah. To answer your question, uh, my classical training came much later. After I finished one round of university, I took a year off. And by, about when I was 23, I auditioned for the University of Buffalo, New York, and I got accepted there, um, which, you know, UB is a good music program, but um, it's not known for its music program. However, there was a fantastic guitar teacher there, I mean, just a brilliant husband and wife teaching unit, um, Joanne Castellani and Michael Andriaccio. And they not only taught me a lot about music, but about about the arts and um, bringing a meditative perspective to it. So it really tied into my initial experiences of what happens when we listen deeply to one note. You know, um, like when I was in my high school years, I would just listen closely to Jimi Hendrix. I would listen so closely and then suddenly my fingers would do it and it was magic. Well, that kind of magic, that connection that can happen when we listen deeply, it sounds like I'm offering some magic pill or panacea, but it's just kind of miraculous what can happen when we clear our minds and um, allow the music to speak through our hands. There's some training involved, of course, but that's what I try to offer through my workshops and uh, my ukulele zen channel. A path that, yeah, it involves some training, but um, we can enjoy the journey and it really can be wondrous. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, we, that was kind of a rambly answer to your question. I no, was that, 20, that's a good answer. Life, and really a lot of folks around me were saying, eh, you're a little you're a little old to start classical guitar. You should have started younger. Yeah, and I, you know, <laughs> you know, I just did my thing. And, um, and I ended up um, learning a ton of great things and won a scholarship. And I'm so grateful for the years that I spent – sequestered, locked up in a, uh, in a practice room, just blissing out on my guitar. Yeah. And then ukulele is, when did you discover that? I st- discovered ukulele. Um, oh, I should mention while I was a music teacher, while I was a, a music student, I was when I encountered yoga for the first time as well. So a more formalized practice of uh, bringing our conscious attention to breathing to our body 
and that deepened my music. And I was really, uh, I finished school and I started to teach music at a couple of schools and offer some assembly programs. And one really cold winter in 2001 was when I discovered or when I encountered the ukulele. My good friend who owned a music store in Buffalo, New York, if any listeners out there know anything about Buffalo, New York, you know that it's famous for three things, hot chicken wings, losing football teams, <laughs> really, really rough winters. It's too bad that that's the only things it's famous for because it truly is. An, it's a great town. I lived there for 20 years. It's an amazing arts, literature, film, theater scene there. It's an awesome town. Um, I even wrote a song, Buffalo in My Soul, on my CMI. Uh, <laughs> and I've got to say, the chicken wings are good, though. Don't underestimate the importance oh, of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the Anchor Bar and see where they were originated and listen to some live jazz. There's a... Anyway, don't get me started on Buffalo. Well, if I can ever travel again, I'll do that. <laughs> it's right next to Niagara Falls, uh, Canada, and Niagara Falls, New York. You can hop up to the falls in 30 minutes. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a tour guide for, for Buffalo, I guess. But um, when I was um, in a, a very, very cold winter, even by Buffalo standards, there was six feet of snow. Because the city is situated right on Lake Erie, all the winds and all the moisture of the four great lakes are blowing east and it just dumps snow like crazy on the city. But it's kind of fun, you know. <laughs> um, it's fun to be snowed in when you have good friends making soup and everybody's, all the neighbors are helping you dig your car out. It's, it's a cool scene, despite what it might sound like. As so, an Australian, I can't relate. <laughs> it doesn't happen to Australia. Not really. I'll take the Sunshine Coast. Thank you very much. Um, so, so anyway, my, my good friend had a, a small soprano ukulele, and I wish I still had it, but it, it's not with me anymore. But it was this $10 ukulele in the window, and I stopped in my tract because just looking at it in the middle of this freezing cold winter, I felt warm just looking at it. You know, <laughs> it felt like I was being transported to Hawaii. So I went in there. I was staring at it for some minutes, and my friend knocked on the window and said, hey, Woody, come on in. So I bought it and took it home, and the next day I started to, I would ride the bus to work as a substitute music teacher. I'd ride the bus, and I'd sit in the back of the bus, and I would just play a chord. And everybody on the bus would go from, you have to imagine, it's February in Buffalo, there's not a lot of sunshine in the winter, everybody's all depressed, and they went from to... just kind of serenade the bus and I did this for months and months uh, where I would just play you know um, and people will start singing don't worry <laughs> about a thing the bus driver kind of started giving us looks and then they, the bus driver would start smiling too because <laughs> every little thing gonna be alright So that's really where my ukulele journey started. And just like the guitar had this powerful healing intention, I noticed that this little cute instrument, as soon as I took it out of the case, people started to smile. As soon as I played a chord, it just had a, an effect. And I've been hooked on it ever since. So I started to teach it. I started to uh, teach it at the school where I was a music teacher. And I started to uh, 
bring it out with my band. My band at the time, I was playing the music of Django Reinhardt in a band called Babik. And uh, we had a great run playing ja- gypsy jazz. And, um, and towards the end of our about 10, 12-year run, I started to bring the uke out. And, uh, and people, audiences really, really dug it. So I just, I just uh, started to shift into the ukulele a bit more full time. And now I'm talking to you. Absolutely. Do you still play guitar or is it pretty much all uke now? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I play guitar all the time. Yeah. So I, um, this is an Indian. So oh, I wow. I started to learn. I've always wanted to study Indian classical music, so I've just started that maybe a month ago. It'll be years before I'm ready to share that, but um, I still play a lot of guitar. I, along with my wife, who is an upright bass player and plays on my solo CDs, we toured the world with an artist named Sanatam Kar. This CD was nominated for a Grammy, um, and we played... uh, guitar, she played bass, I played guitar on this recording. So, Sanatam, this music is devotional by nature, it's uh, mantra-based music, so when we would play, Sanatam is a tremendous worldwide following, so we would play sometimes, and um, we tour all over Europe, you know, cities all over North and South America, and 3,000 people showing up to chant mantra, to sing, and I would play my nylon string classical guitar. Very soothing, very meditative, peaceful music, and uh, the entire audience participating. Wow. You know, as an artist, you always hope people are involved, maybe singing along, maybe tapping their feet. And I've been lucky that most of my bands have been successful in that way, that people really get involved. But this music was another level, you know, to have 3,000 people chanting along, singing along, dancing is powerful stuff. Oh, yeah. So, yes, I do still play a lot of guitar, although, you know, um, there's only so many hours in the day, especially with an eight-month-old baby. So oh, yeah. I do get requests about, will you make a guitar YouTube channel someday? Maybe. But right now, I'm happy to be serving the ukulele audience with my... Maybe you mentioned this already in the intro, but you know my YouTube channel, Ukulele Zen. A lot of, lot of cool content there for you to check out. So that's been my focus, yeah. And I, I can also see your didgeridoo back there. Where did you get that one from? This was brought back for me, and that was brought back from, I'm not sure where my friend bought that, but this is a nice one. It's actually termite hollowed. Ah. I could play a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. About the strings. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the didgeridoo. Actually, you know, I'll, I'll play this one over here. This one is even nicer. And uh, let's see if this comes through. Uh, didgeridoo, I'm sure your Australian audience already knows everything. About it, <laughs> yeah, we know about it. Yeah. Those who don't know, I will be circular breathing. So that means that the sound will not stop because I'm breathing in a special way, breathing out through the mouth while I breathe in through the nose at the same time. So good. <laughs> I believe you are the first didgeridoo on my podcast as well. <laughs> 
I had to stop because honestly, this didgeridoo, all my didgeridoos, I will lose track of time. Uh, once the circuit of breath really gets going, time for me stops, which is common with all my musings, I guess. Um, I can lose track of time, but this literally, because of the breathing, I will be late for my appointments. <laughs> and I guess it makes sense because, I mean, breathing is such a big part of meditation. So to do the circular breathing, I guess it's all so much more um, concentration in that that you would get a little lost in it. There is a deep power to that for sure. And the power of uh, breath on our consciousness is no secret. Of course, we can understand this intellectually. And then I like to say that, um, well, it was shared with me that an ounce of practice is worth a metric ton of theory. You know, one drop of practice is worth an ocean of theory. So I encourage people who are curious about going deeper with their music, and we don't have to make this into a big serious thing or some bar to reach, but just to be curious about when you play, whether you're, especially if you're singing, to bring some attention to your breath because it can really relax us, it can focus us. I bring this up often in my videos. And my I'm soon going to release some online courses where we're going to go deeper into this. And again, meditation for me is not a serious thing. There's depth, but not seriousness. So here's a fun exercise you can do. You can just um, take one breath, one note. You breathe in. Breathe out with one note. Breathe in, breathe out. Play any notes. If you can sustain your concentration for three or even five notes, you come back home to the present moment. You come home to the only place where life is really truly available and in the present moment is when we can not only encounter the wonders of life even more fully, but also our practice and our experience of our music becomes so much more effective and joyful. You know, rather than looking at practice as I want to get, I'm here, I want to get to here, I won't be happy until I get to here. What if every step of our journey was pleasurable? So I like to share teachings, which are not only practical about how to play, you know, just the nuts and bolts of playing, but how to practice in a way where it's nourishing. So a nice first thing is just like if you were even strumming one chord. Breathe in deeply. Breathe out slowly. And it's no big deal if you forget. In fact, forgetting is part of it. Because when you forget, it's an opportunity to remember. Yeah. Rather than, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I remembered. So it's about how we look at it. And um, so, so, yeah, so breath, the didgeridoo is a powerful tool for that. And any instrument bringing breath awareness to um, to it is a way to really deepen uh, our experience. Yep. Okay. I want to get back to a bit more of that a little bit later, but um, first, I just want to ask you, you have won awards, I believe. 
I, I have, yeah. Um, well, I was really honored to be part of this, you know, Grammy-nominated recording last. Uh, let's see, it was the end of the year, twenty eighteen. Um, I used to bring this healing. Well, for eight years, I should say, for eight years, I worked as an artist in residence at a cancer hospital in Buffalo, New York. And all the things that I've mentioned earlier about music as a healing uh, power. That's what I would bring to the bedside when I would play for cancer patients, their families, hospital staff, and just spread the light. Sometimes it was upbeat, the things I would share, and you know, cheerful, and sometimes it was listening to somebody, not even playing a note, just listening to them. And then after a few days of becoming close, we would write a song together that was reflective of their, their journey and their healing. Um, sometimes we would drum. So I, I was awarded a grant from the National Endowment of the Arts, which is a, you know, an organization here in the States, um, to make movies. This grant, um, I made four films about my encounters with patients. Wow. I can't share those publicly because of the laws, privacy laws, but I did show them for the final night of this 13-day grant. Um, they were shown, and I played music along with my wife and a percussionist. And so that was a fantastic experience. And my band, um, my other band, we used to win, you know, the, you know, Reader's Poll in Buffalo and, and this and that and a few other local awards. I don't mean to be tooting my horn. I'm just, I'm just honored that um, others would recognize what I do. There's so many talented people in the world. So anytime that... I'm recognized even in the in the least. It's uh, it's a great honor. It is. It is. It's, it's a great, a great thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, can you play? You've been holding that ukulele the whole time and, and strumming a little bit. But let's want to play me something serious. Well, not serious, but you know what I mean. <laughs> play me a song. <laughs> sure. Would you like a song with singing or instrumental or both? Look, whatever you like. I'm. I, I always like a bit of singing. We haven't heard you sing yet, have we? Huh? Yeah, singing. Sure. All right. Thinking about what I could sing that won't <laughs> the eighteen, the eight-month-old. Ah, I'm actually surprised. I did a YouTube video the other night with my cats fast asleep next to me on the lounge. They didn't move. <laughs> Maybe we can get your cats to sleep train our baby. <laughs> <laughs> So well, I'll, I'll do I'll do just a short version of an instrumental piece that's yep. on one of my CDs, and then I'll, I'll sing. I'm not sure what I'm going to play yet, but I love to improvise, so let's see what happens. Sounds good. Thank you. 
This is a song that I wrote about the ukulele. Anybody out there who um, has an ukulele knows that you gotta be careful because you could fall victim to the disease, ukulele acquisition syndrome. So there's a song about that called My Little Jumping Flea. open wide. My beloved's waiting by my side. There's four shimmering sunbeams calling me. She got a lovely shape. I hold her close. Every day a therapeutic dose. We transported to the beach at Waikiki. She thinks she's the only one, but there's four string cloning going on. And all my ukes are the only ones for me. Touch the strings, make them sing every day. Another feather added to my wings. I call my little jumping flea. Pick it, boy. Speaking of ukulele acquisition syndrome, how many do you have? Well, gosh, in this room, there's this. This is one of my favorites, the Griffin Ook. This is a Beltona, which I believe came from Australia. That is a great resonator uke that I, I ended up selling, and I wish I never sold it. Because it Why would you do that? No, <laughs> hunger. Um, so... This is a Griffin ukulele kasha bracing system. I got this mainland uh, concert. I have this. Uh, this one's nearby. These are kind of my go-tos lately. This is a carbon fiber low G tenor. I have this thing. My work, my workhorse. This thing has been around the world with me. Um, the third eye guy, um, my kala. I always tell people if you know. You can you can't go wrong with it. This thing is just, just yeah, a yeah. tank. I've seen a lot of people with that one, and, it, and it's um it's it's a great instrument. 
It's got a long name, the CTG. Just look for the solid. Got to make sure it's the solid cedar top. Um, I mean, as far as a mass-produced uke goes, it's like it's a great one. And then I've got um, this little one, if you want to really meet this one. This one was one of my first. And my very first YouTube video that I put up was me playing with my old band, Babik. And I played this thing. I call this Peanut. Peanut is basically weightless. I had to put these grip strips on the back because oh, yeah. it would always slip off my shirt. And and my old band, we would play suits. You know, we were like an old jazz band. So we would be all dressed to the nines and they would just whoosh, slip off. The old thing is, um, I believe this is a, uh, it's, the label says New York, but I took it to a very knowledgeable instrument guy in New York. And he said, no, no, no. These were mass produced in, in Japan in the sixties. They just pumped them out. Like, and, um, and it just has a great, well, it's a little out of tune now, but Let me let me uh, let me play a little something for you because it's 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 one of these. Um, it just has one of the. It's just the closest I get to a vintage sound. You know? So I'll play a little something on Peanut. Peanut is mostly retired. This is um, Peanut was for years my stunt ukulele. See that? Oh, it's it's in the air. I do this thing. I don't know if I can do it without waking the baby, but you know I play with my teeth. I. I <laughs> I do this thing in the, a tribute to Roy Smack, the great ukulele master um, from the vaudevillian traditions. So, Peanut was my. And Peanut does look very well loved. I feel like you came over before the soup is ready or something. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good enough for, for this. I won't. I won't uh, continue to tune, but um, but yeah, this was my stunt ukulele, and the Roy Smek traditions, um, it got beat up quite a bit. Let's play a little something by Roy Smek. My okay, this is uh, Roy Smek's Magic Ukulele Waltz, a little bit of it.
Some of the <laughs> wacky ukulele stunts that I I like to do. Usually, I'm standing when I'm doing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so for the for the listeners, just just recount. I, I will actually put this on YouTube so people can see it. But just recount the things that you did there for the for those who only have the audio. Well, if you if you're listening to this on on radio, um, <laughs> you you got a great face for radio, kid. Um, <laughs> The, the things I was doing, what was I doing? Well, there's a couple of things. I there were definitely to, teeth. There were some teeth. I played with my teeth. And, you know, I teach all these little uh, techniques. There is a series of 15 videos on my YouTube channel that I call uh, Roy Smack Circus Tricks. So ukulele circus tricks. When you play with your teeth, I teach a safe way of how to, you know, do that. I was also rowing the boat. So. <laughs> yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> I show you how to do this. It's easier to do this on a lightweight soprano uke, like Peanut. I mean, if you have an itty-bitty soprano, you know that it feels like you're um, a monster. It feels like you're the, a giant because it's so small and it's so light. It's just ready to fly away. Um, I also was, uh, there's a, this is a nice trick that you can do, you know, when you, a little sleight of hand, and excuse me, Meredith, you got something stuck on you. <laughs> Uh, this is also yeah. another great one. You know, oh, excuse me. Yeah, so. <laughs> so just sit with it and goof around, and you'll you'll find there's a, there's a lot a lot of fun things. So I t I teach a lot of these uh, tricks on my YouTube channel. You know, and it's in a whole playlist too. If you wanna if you wanna watch all fifteen, you need to um, make the neighbors talk about you. <laughs> well, there will be definitely be a link to that in the show notes for everyone who wants to watch that. So cool. So I wanted to just go back a little bit to the, the ukulele zen um, and all, I guess 2020 has been a challenging year for everybody for obvious reasons. How has that changed the way you've been? Because you said you've been working in hospitals, you've been doing yoga retreats, but of course a lot of that stuff hasn't been possible this year. Yeah, yeah, it has been challenging. Oh, you know, I forgot to mention one of the things, radio audiences, I was holding the ukulele upside down. I learned that from watching Roy Smeck many times in a row. I guess it works the same way. You just have to do your chord upside down, don't you? Yeah, your chord, yeah. yeah it takes a little getting used to, you know, fretting. Doo -doo -doo. Poor Peanut, you know, he's in retirement, so he doesn't get tuned very often. He just sits yeah. there and looks pretty. He's, he's in retirement. He That's fair. Um, but anyway, getting back to your, your question, um, a lot of events canceled for not only me, of course, everybody, and not just music. Uh, so there is a lot of isolation and people dealing with that. And I think... Uh, Online events and podcasts like this are great for people to feel connected. I was holding out hope that, I mean, this was going back to June, 
of this year, I was really hoping that my annual retreat would not be canceled because it's held at an amazing center. It's at a place north of New York City in the countryside. It's a holistic center called the Omega Institute, which uh, it's a great honor to teach there. It's a place that's been um, one of the you know leading holistic centers and retreat centers uh, for over 45 years. So it's a um, really awesome place to, to go as a retreat and to teach. It's really 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 good time so that was cancelled but i hope to be back next year i hope we all can i must say it's been difficult and even just for this podcast i've always interviewed people in person i would go to ukulele festivals and talk to them there and it's made a very big change to me I, i realized i actually cleaned out my cupboard the other day and i thought oh I found a, a micro, my microphone I hadn't been able to find it for ages, and I also found that my Zoom recorder was with it. And the fact that I hadn't used that recorder since February was really, really strange. <laughs> because it's the one I use when I actually go out, you know, and see people in person. Um, yeah, really, really odd. Um, but yeah, I think the world is, well, I hope the world comes starts to come good next year, because it's it's been challenging. But um Still, ukulele does help. And I think I'm very interested too in looking at some of your, especially the, your meditative techniques, because I am someone who suffers from anxiety. And I suppose I play because I feel better when I play, but to do it in a more um, deliberate way, I think would be a really, really good thing. It, it can be, yeah, it can definitely be helpful. I mean, it's a, um, I guess to to speak about it without giving a, a concrete exercise might be might not be complete um i would say that it's not um it's not a process of pushing away what we're experiencing uh meditation as it was taught to me is embracing what is happening so in the same way we can play a sound on our instrument and whether it came out the way we intended or not we can still embrace it and listen to it and accept it. And in so doing, we're offering that to ourselves. So, um, so yeah, so that way our music practice doesn't become a battle between where we are and where we want to be. Um, you mentioned, you know, the, how different it is this year. It, ukulele, just that one small community of the entire world, is made up of people who love to get together because it's just wonderful to be together. All these festivals, I mean, the music is great, the workshops are great, the food's great, but really I love to go because of the people and the connections. And that's truly what makes it marvelous. And there's a big hole, I think, in a lot of people's lives who love going to festivals and love getting together with their strum groups as to how to stay connected. And I think, uh, you know, online meetups are very, very helpful and uh, online live streams. I've done a number of them on my channel and um, it's really gratifying to see, um, you know, people in the chat of the of the live stream you know connecting with one another you know yeah they're there to learn from me but i see people like hey joan wow i haven't seen you since we were in chicago together or you know and so it's it's uh the ukulele is very communal instrument and um so i'm really grateful that the connections continue well, I think I need to do my last question now because we, your baby has been very well behaved, but I think we're pushing it. 
<laughs> so um, tell me, how has ukulele changed your life? Well, well, it's changed my life in a number of ways. I mean, the instrument itself has just brought me a lot of happiness. Just to be able to pick up um, one of my instruments, walk out the door, get onto a bus. While I'm waiting for the bus, I can play a song for myself. Um, so it's brought a lot of happiness to me. Um, all for all the reasons that we love the portability, the ease of play. It's just a wonderful instrument. It's also changed my life in that it stretched me as a musician. You know, there's something to be said about doing more with less and the range of the ukulele being less than a guitar, much less than a piano. Um, you know, to fit an entire band on into this instrument is a is a really is a fun challenge. things at once is uh, is a great challenge uh, and a fun one you know so it's you made, seem to have done it too <laughs> uh, I'm really just just learning honestly um, I, uh, I'm excited to uh, to share some new chord solos that I've been working out uh, that's one I've been playing for some time but, but yeah so it's 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 helped me to grow as a, as a musician it's, helped, it's of course brought me joy as I said and I think the other way that it's changed my life is that well, if you told me back in 2001 when I f encountered that first ukulele in the snowstorm that I would be, you know, traveling around to these gatherings where 300 people sometimes are just strumming their hearts out, staying up all night, you know, people knocking on the door of your hotel room with, with a cake. Hey, you're about to go to sleep. <laughs> We brought cake and we have all these songs. Okay, we'll stay up. Let's sing some more. <laughs> I mean, I would have, I would have never have guessed that all the places that it has brought me. I mean, the ukulele has brought me to, from everywhere from Scotland. It almost brought me to to Australia. Uh, everywhere from Scotland, all over Canada, of course, all over the states, to Bermuda, to the Bahamas, South America. Um, I'm really, really grateful uh, to this instrument and that. It's not just about the instrument or the music. It really is just about the people. And that's really the last thing that I would say, how it's changed my life. It's just all the fantastic folks I've met. Really, ukulele people are the sweetest, sweetest people in the world, I think. It's a combination of that heart-centered feeling you get, you know, through a yoga community, mixed with one part folk music you know, rootsy music, just come as you are, play as you are, don't judge it, you don't have to be perfect. And you get those two things, that heartfelt intention with a real rootsy approach to music, and I'm in heaven, you know, so I just love it. In fact, I'd like to write a song, Ukulele People Are the Sweetest People in the World. <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really how I feel. So, long answer to your question. Yep, great answer. But, uh, I, it's changed my life in so many ways. I'm very grateful for it. 
Well, Stu, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been awesome. Thank you, Meredith. Appreciate you having me on and um, wishing everybody over on your end of the line good health and uh, stay safe and keep on jamming. Thanks. Ukulele is the New Black is produced by me, Meredith Harper. I wrote the theme tune and I performed it with Jasmine Fellows, Jeff Skellums, Jim Croft, Paul Marsh, Chris Williams and Sandra Shaw. Seb Carrero does the graphic design. If you want to support Stu, you can go to stewfuchs.com to buy CDs and merchandise, become a patron on patreon.com. And of course, check out his Ukulele Zen YouTube channel where you'll find some amazing resources. If you want more information about any of the things mentioned in today's podcast, there are links in the show notes as well as a playlist with songs relating to today's episode on the Ukulele is the New Black YouTube channel. And I've also got a couple of videos of Stu playing in this episode, so you don't miss out on all the visuals. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell your friends. Episodes are released every second Monday, and you can subscribe pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. It's the new blood.